Welcome to the June Pensions Podcast from the Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team. You can subscribe and listen on iTunes, Stitcher and Soundcloud or by visiting our website at www.shlegal.com. I'm Graham Wrightson, a partner in the pensions team, and I have with me Julia Ward, our pensions professional support lawyer. Today we're going to talk about some of the key pensions law developments up to the end of June 2019, including guidance from the courts on the limits of retrospectivity and the meaning of a written resolution, the results of the DWP's review of the pensions regulator, and a £2.4 million fine imposed by the pensions ombudsman as a result of trustees breaching their investment and trust law duties. Firstly, however, we'll look at the pension regulator's strategic aims of the next three years. So over to you, Julia. Thanks, Graham. Yes, the pensions regulator has issued its latest corporate plan for 2019 to 2021. The plan sets out what the regulator considers to be the core regulatory risks in the pensions landscape and the six priority areas that it will focus on to address those risks, as well as highlighting long-standing risks such as fraud and defined benefit scheme underfunding. The regulator also focuses on some evolving risk areas. These include the growing significance of risks in the defined contribution market and the increasing importance of governance, administration, engagement and communication in the defined contribution sphere. The risk posed by small defined contribution arrangements that may struggle to meet the regulator's expectations, the low priority given to scheme administration by many schemes and the need to drive up standards of administration generally poor governance and decision-making by trustees, and the need for an effective regulatory regime for defined benefit super funds to ensure any consolidation is in the best interests of savers. The regulator goes on to set out its six priorities for tackling these risks. These are for the regulator to extend its regulatory reach with a wider range of proactive and targeted regulatory interventions, promote and enforce the high standards of trusteeship, governance and administration, intervene where necessary so that defined benefit schemes are properly funded to meet their liabilities as they fall due, ensure staff have an opportunity to save into a qualifying workplace pension through automatic enrolment, enable workplace pension schemes to deliver their benefits through significant change, including responding to Brexit, and develop so that it is capable of meeting the future challenges that the regulator faces. Thanks, Julia. It sounds like the regulator's got a very long list of things to deal with there. Indeed. Um, Our next topic considers the Court of Appeal's recent judgment in the case of Bick and Burgess. This is judgment of the Court of Appeal handed down on 10 May 2019. The case related to whether pension and payment increases referable to pre-1997 pensionable service had been validly granted. The decision to grant the increases had been confirmed by a resolution passed at a meeting of the trustees in 1991. However, the rules of the BIC UK pension scheme, applicable at that time, did not contain a power, such as a power of amendment, which would have allowed those increases to be granted. In 1993, a new trust deed and rules was executed, which contained, among other things, a more flexible power of amendment, which would have allowed for the grant of increases. The 1993 trust deed and rules were stated as having effect from 1990. In the High Court, an argument succeeded that the 1993 trustee and rules gave valid effect to the decision taken in 1991 to grant the pension increases. However, the Court of Appeal overturned the High Court decision and decided that the powers in the 1993 trustee and rules could not be used to give effect to a decision taken in 1991, simply because the 1993 trustee and rules purported to be effective from 1990. Separately, and although not formally decided upon, the Court of Appeal gave a provisional view on the meaning of a written resolution, where the power of amendment prescribed that a written resolution could be used to amend a scheme. It was held that the 1991 trustee meeting minutes, which set out an intention to grant the pension increases, merely recorded a resolution on future policy. In order to be a written resolution, 
the trustees needed to set out the text of the amendments and ensure it was signed by all of the trustees and reference the employer's consent. This should therefore be borne in mind when effecting amendments by way of written resolution. Thanks, Graham. For our next topic, um, the DWP has published its tailored review of the pensions regulator. Tailored reviews are periodic reviews that look into the continuing need, efficiency and good governance of public bodies. The regulator is subject to a tailored review at least once in the lifetime of a parliament. The DWP notes that the regulator is a well-run organisation that effectively carries out its statutory objectives. In light of recent developments such as the collapse of BHS, it recognises that there is a continuing need for the regulator and supports the increase in the regulator's use in recent years of its existing powers. The DWP does, however, set out 16 recommendations where there is room for improvement. Of particular note are the recommendations to consider providing the regulator with additional powers to allow it to create rules in specific circumstances in order to respond to emerging risks. Currently, changes to how the regulator conducts its regulatory functions require legislative changes, which limits the proactive steps that the regulator can take. It also recommends that the regulator should consider whether the codes of practice it measures schemes against are the correct minimum standards of compliance. The regulator has codes of practice for both defined benefit and defined contribution schemes, and whilst these are not mandatory, they are guidelines for how regulatory requirements can be met. Surveys commissioned by the regulator in 2017 to 2018 showed that only 19% of defined benefit schemes met expectations under the defined benefit code, and 5% of defined contribution schemes met all of the key governance requirements. The DWP suggests that the requirements in the codes may not, therefore, be the appropriate ones to determine whether or not a scheme is well run. The regulator has accepted the recommendations and its progress against them will be considered in the next tailored review in five years' time. It will be interesting to see if, by then, the regulator has been afforded additional powers and if the defined benefit and defined contribution codes of practice have been materially changed. Thanks, Julia. And last but not least, the Ombudsman has determined that the trustees of the Henry Davison Limited Pension Scheme breached their investment and trust law duties when investing the scheme assets. As a result, it has ordered them to pay £2.4 million to the scheme in relation to associated investment losses. Following a complaint made by 14 scheme members, the Ombudsman found that the trustees were personally liable, jointly and severally, for a number of breaches. These included the fact that in 2012 the trustees entered into an asset management agreement with a Swiss investment manager. They placed approximately £1.3 million of member funds with the asset manager, despite the fact that annual management charges and performance fees due had not been confirmed. By 2015, the investment was worth approximately £106,000. The £1.2 million loss included £260,000 in finance costs, £100,000 in broker fees and £740,000 in commission payments to the asset manager. In 2016... At the end of a sad story of investment, the asset manager went into liquidation. The Ombudsman concluded that the trustees had failed to obtain proper advice and to consider the need for diversification of scheme investments before entering into the asset management agreement. They had also breached their duties of care and skill under trust law by failing to act in members' best financial interests. The Ombudsman also found that the trustees had not properly delegated their power of investment to the asset manager and had failed to monitor the asset manager's performance on an ongoing basis. As such, they could not rely on the statutory exemption from liability or on the scheme's exoneration clause. And, as if that weren't enough, the trustees had adopted an approach to due diligence in relation to the asset management agreement, which was so, quote, shockingly inadequate, that they could not be excused from liability on the grounds of reasonableness under Section 61 of the Trustee Act 1925. In addition, the trustees had agreed loans from the scheme which totaled just under £800,000. All of the loans had defaulted and none of them had been repaid. 
the Ombudsman determined that the trustees had not taken proper advice before granting the loans and had failed to take steps to protect the scheme in the event of the loans defaulting. The trustees had also not taken care or exercised skill in the performance of their investment functions. As such, the Ombudsman ordered the trustees to repay the loans to the scheme. The Ombudsman observed that the scheme was administered almost entirely without established process or procedure and that this had caused scheme members to suffer an exceptional level of distress and inconvenience over a prolonged period of time. It's not therefore surprising that he also ordered the trustees to pay £5,000 to each of the 14 complainants, which is one of the highest non-financial loss awards made by the Ombudsman to date, and stated his intention to refer the scheme to the pensions regulator so that it can now decide whether to appoint an independent trustee. That's all for this month's podcast. Further detail on all of these subjects discussed can be found in the June snapshot or from your usual Stevenson Harwood Pensions Law Team contact. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast informative and don't forget that you can listen again and subscribe to the series on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud or on the Stevenson Harwood website. Mm-hmm.